All right. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Joe Collins. It's great to be back. I'm going to move closer to you. Uh, it, it is great to be back, to be with you guys. I'm uh, always grateful to be here and appreciate you as a church and what you do. And, you know, it's a tough thing to be at a 4 p.m. service. You know, we're used to Sunday morning, you're up, you're ready to go. Gavin's awake at 4 p.m., but that's because Gavin doesn't get up till 2 or 3 every day anyways. But uh, it is it is tough, and I get it, and I'm not asking you to be wild and crazy except for Gavin. That's totally okay. But I do want about 20 minutes of your time, and, and let me teach the Bible to you tonight. Is that okay? Is that is that? Can we make that exchange? And I'll try to give a joke to make it funny, and then I'm even going to do some audience participation today. So I'm in inviting you now to be ready. I'm going to ask, I think, two questions during the message, and I want you to be able to answer them. You know, just tell me your thoughts, and, and I think we'll get through the time. We'll, we'll feel more rewarded, and it won't feel so um, anticlimactic. How's that? Amen? So let's say a prayer, and we'll jump into the message. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thanks for this great group of people here. It is so great to be fellowshipping with brothers and sisters down here in Oxnard. I'm so grateful for them, for their love and their faith. Thank you so much that Jacob got baptized. How great was that? God, we pray to see many more young men on campus and women on campus to be baptized, married couples, singles, on and on it goes. But we pray for your will to be done, your name to be spread, and for people to turn their hearts over to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we are uh, a church that uh, is partnered with the Simi Church. We've got the Shoreline Church, we've got the Simi Church, and as a fellowship, as our two churches are coming together, have come together, we've identified a mission. Our mission is love, love God and love others. And, and within that mission, we have a vision, and the vision is to love and live like Jesus. The vision is what we're trying to become. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be. I want to become like Jesus. I'm not there. I've got a long way to go. Some of you are way ahead of me, I'm sure. I might be ahead of some others. It doesn't really matter. The goal is, is the idea of the vision is that it's just so far out there that we're always going to be trying to get to it. None of us are ever going to be Jesus anytime soon, right? Well, except for Brian. But other than that, except for Brian, none of us are really going to be like Jesus anytime soon. But it is our vision to love and to live like Jesus. So I've been doing a series, and I've been doing it for a couple of years now, and I've been picked on about that. Really, really, you're going to keep doing that series on and on? And yes, I am. I'm going to do it on and on and on. Because I believe there's value in studying God's Word and staying on a theme or a subject for an extended period of time. I can see it in my life, in the study that we've been doing, Jesus Worth Following. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and I've been plodding through it little section by little section for a couple of years now. And it has become so rich and so powerful in my life. It's enriched me in ways that I can't imagine. I understand the message and ministry of Jesus so much more, rather than sort of skipping from thing to thing. And so I hope you can... Join me today in going into another installment. You guys have, have heard uh, many of the lessons so far leading up to this point. But I hope you can join me today and just take another step into it. I know it's been a while since we've done one of these studies. But I think you're going to find it really interesting today and really meaningful. So the goal or the lesson is about putting God first. So there were these three guys. 
and uh, they were friends, and they weren't what you call upstanding citizens. They were troublemakers, they were rabble-rousers, they weren't living a godly life, they were partiers, they were drinkers. And one day they get in a car to go out and paint the town red, and they get in an accident. And all three of them die. And the next thing that happens is they, 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 they regain consciousness and they find out that they're in hell. And they happen to be sitting in an orientation meeting in hell. Turns out that the first day you go to hell, you have to go through an orientation. Explain what hell's like, what it's gonna, what, what's gonna happen for the rest of eternity, and on and on it goes. But part of the orientation is they had them watch the video feed from their funerals. And they had to look and see what people would say about them. And as you might imagine, there wasn't much good said about them at their funerals. It was sort of like the first start of the negative of hell. You know, you get to find out that you really weren't that great of a person and you really did blow it and you should have lived your life differently. But here you are and you get to hear what people say about you at your funeral. And it was a cringeworthy experience because not much positive was said. So afterwards, the demon running the class says, uh, hey, I want you to stand up. Tell me what you think. Now that you know all this stuff is real and you've chosen the wrong thing and you find yourself in hell and you've seen your funeral, what do you, what do you wish would have been said at your funeral? Well, the first guy stands up and he goes, you know, I, uh, I really care. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't care about my family. And I regret that. I mean, I, I had several marriages. I got kids all over the place and I never really paid attention to them. And I'm watching my funeral now. I realize, man, I really wish they would have said I was a great father. I was a great husband. I was loyal. I was faithful. The next guy stood up and he said, you know, I know I made a choice early on to make go down the wrong road. But, you know, before I, I got into all the wrong things, I wanted to be a teacher. And man, I really regret that people didn't say he was a great teacher and he was a great mentor and he he really helped people in their journey and in their life. When the third guy got up and he said, you know, I don't know, but the thing I wish more than anything is that someone would have said, hey, look, I think he's still breathing. (laughs) You know, it's uh, too late for those guys to make a decision to put God first, but it's not too late for us. Let's pray. God, we ask for your spirit to be with us, to infill us and empower us. Help us to see in your word what you want us to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn over to Mark chapter 10. We're going to read verse 17 to 18. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. If you remember anything from the series... You might remember the map. That is a map of the area of Palestine in the time of Jesus. That is pretty much the world that Jesus lived in. And that is pretty much the entire area that he traveled in his entire life. Never really went outside of that area. It's, uh, I don't know, 150 by maybe long by about 70 miles wide or something like that. He lived his entire life in this area. And around age 30, he became a rabbi. He, that means he went public and became a public teacher. And he gathered some disciples, and he went around and began teaching his 
philosophy, his belief, etc., about God and about how we should live and on and on. And he did that for about three years before he was ultimately arrested and then crucified. And we read about all that in the Bible. In the Gospel of Mark, this is one account, one person's account of Jesus's life. And it really begins with his public ministry. It doesn't really get into too much detail about his childhood or his upbringing. It just sort of starts when he went public. And so in the Gospel of Mark, we read that for about two and a half years, Jesus zigzagged all over Palestine. He preached repentance, practiced grace. He went around, called people to be righteous, but then he healed them. He did miracles. And at the end of that two and a half years, he became incredibly well-known. He was, he was the hot guy. I mean, he was Hansel. He's so hot right now. That was Jesus. And people wanted to know what he had to say. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to, to have an audience with him to, to hear. And, and so it wasn't uncommon for him to be walking and traveling from place to place and people to come up to him and say, you know, tell me something or teach me something or show me something or answer this question. And on and on it went. We're right now in this story about in the last six months of Jesus's public ministry. It's about six months from about this point, maybe a little more than six months, but from about six to eight months till about, uh, till before he dies. And Jesus is making his way down into the city of Jerusalem because he was going to celebrate Passover down there. That was something that was commanded by God. Jewish men at that time and a lot of Jewish families would journey every year to Jerusalem to go worship Passover at Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. And it was somewhere around that red arrow, just outside of the area of Jerusalem, where Jesus encounters this person who falls on his knees and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, very good question. I mean, if, if there's any question that would be on my heart, it would be, how do I know I'm going to go to heaven? How would I get there? You know, tell, tell me what I got to know. And that's exactly what this guy does. What's interesting is Jesus responds to him in what I think is a kind of unusual response. He asks him, why do you call me good? I think if it was me, I would be all excited that this cool, rich, young guy who seemed to be spiritual, he was concerned about spiritual things, he was successful, I'd be all fired up that he wanted to talk to me. And that he wanted to be on my team. And you'd think that Jesus would be like, oh yeah, come on, boy, you know, be one of my disciples. You're awesome. Get on board. But that's not what he does. He says, why do you call me good? So I'm, here's my first question. I want you to think about it. And then if you're comfortable, just shout out an answer. It's fine. There's no right or wrong answer. Why do you think Jesus asked the guy that question? Thank you for going first, by the way. That was awesome. And yes, awesome answer. I appreciate that. Trying to expose, you know, was the guy really sincere or was he just giving him lip service? Really good, good possibility. Anyone else? I got to get my water. Yeah, he wanted to know maybe what, what, what do you think is good? He was kind of putting it back on the guy, right? Okay, one more. Yeah. I think perhaps because he recognizes Jesus' integrity, like a lot of preachers at the time, he actually lived for like he talked about. So, as opposed to weighing him down, 
And so the point of Jesus asking the guy, why, why do you call me good, was to, what, I, I didn't follow your answer exactly. Oh, you were reading, you were skipped ahead, okay. That's okay, well, we'll get there, so hold on to that one. You know, I think that, again, we don't know, we weren't there, but I have a speculation, and it's very consistent with what you guys have observed. Jesus knew what his answer was going to be, and I think he was asking the guy, <clears throat> are you going to do what I say when I answer your question? Right? He said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. In other words, if, if, if you're identifying me as a prophet from God, then are you going to do whatever the answer is I tell you? I think he was kind of checking on this guy. Was he really going to respond? to Jesus' answer. Was he going to agree with it? You know, it's really important for us to realize that following Jesus, or putting God first, if you want to call it that, requires doing what God says. It's really easy, and we hear it all day long. I love God. Oh, God's awesome. Jesus is great. But the real question is, do you really practice that belief? Are you really, do you really obey what God has to say? I might ask you, how are you doing in your belief in Jesus? In your belief that he is good and therefore does your life reflect that? Verse 19. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud or honor, uh, defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. <coughs> then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So Jesus answers the guy's question, and he answers it by referring to something that this guy would be very familiar with. He refers to the Ten Commandments. We've all heard of the Ten Commandments. Well, Jesus specifically mentions Commandments 5 through 10. And before Jesus is even done talking, the guy, I think, interrupts him. And it was like, hey, I've been doing it. I'm, I'm way to go. <laughs> you know, pat me on the back. I'm right there. <clears throat> I think he was excited at this moment. Because he really thought, wow, I'm, I'm doing it. I asked you what it's going to take to get to heaven. You tell me the Ten Commandments, and I'm, I'm right there. I've been doing those since I was a boy. Yeah, lucky me. By the way, at this time, and it's actually something people still think today, um, they connected financial blessing with evidence of God's approval in your life. In other words, if you were successful financially, it was usually because God was blessing you because you were righteous. That was the, their mentality. People have that mentality today, by the way. We always think if someone's having all these good things happen to them, well, it must be God's on their side. That's how they thought. And so this guy's thinking to himself, I can't imagine, I got to imagine, he's thinking to himself, 
hey man, I've been blessed financially. I'm doing the, the Ten Commandments. Jesus, the, the, the one, the, the, the hottest prophet of the day is telling me, good job. He's, he must be excited at this moment until verse 21. Jesus says, that's exactly, I like that face. That's exactly, was like, well, the guy got excited and Jesus went, well, verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You see, that was the answer that Jesus knew he was going to give the guy when the guy first asked him, what must I do? But Jesus tried to prep him before he answered the question, are are you you sure you really want to know what it's going to take? And the amazing and sad thing is that the guy, he went away sad. Because in spite of all the good that he had done in his life and all the blessings he had been receiving from God, he was still lacking. He was still not ready for eternal life. You know, Jesus specifically mentions the last half of the Ten Commandments, the last five. But the first four, five through ten, I guess that's six, and then one through four, they all have to do with our relationship with God. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Do not worship idols. Keep the Sabbath. Those four commandments all are about our relationship with God. And we find out that what Jesus exposed is that this guy had five of them, six of them going straight, but he had four of them that he was not putting first. That he was struggling in the area of of making God his priority. It's a funny thing but eternal life, making it to, getting to heaven, putting God first is all about loving God and loving people. You can't choose one or the other. You got to have both. And I, I see it in my life. There are times where I really enjoy praying and reading and I feel all spiritual, but then I'm honking at people and yelling at them and telling them to get out of my way and I'm not loving my neighbor and I'm not, I'm not kind. Well, that's not putting God first. And then there's others who love to take care of people. They serve like crazy. I mean, they put us to shame. They'll, they'll, they'll cut their right arm off to help you out, but they don't have a quiet time. They don't read their Bible. Well, that's not going to work either. What we learn here is that putting God first is going to require honoring both God and people, loving both God and people. You got to do both. It's got to be part of all of our lives. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel (coughs) to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So Jesus turns to his disciples after the guy goes away sad and he says, this is hard. This is a hard teaching. 
especially for the rich. So I have another question for you. Just shout out your answer. Why is it hard for the rich to put God first? Why do you think? Go ahead. Yeah, they don't rely on God because they have so much and they don't feel the need for God. Same answer. Okay, yeah. Because they have more to give up than others. Anyone else? One more. Yeah. It's hard to see God when you think that you're providing for yourself. It's hard to see God when your needs are generally met. Now, I'm noticing that this side of the room is very spiritual. <laughs> They're engaged. Well, there was one, I'm sorry, one spiritual person over here. But just encouraging you one day, you know, maybe you don't, maybe you could jump in. No, I'm kidding. But uh, no, you guys, you guys are great. I think those are all great answers. Here's my answer, and, I, and, and it, it's, it's similar, but I'm going to tell a story. A couple years ago, my son, Kelly, my oldest, wanted to buy his first car, so we went and heard about a car that was for sale, a couple in the church. It was their son's car, and he didn't need any more, so we went and looked at it, and it was a Chevy Blazer, and so it was cheap. We thought, what the hey, let's do it, so we bought it, 2500 bucks. Within uh, the first six months, we had to put another 1,000 into it. Six months later, we had to put another 700 into it. I know all you guys are saying I shouldn't have bought a Chevy Blazer. I know. Believe me, I shouldn't have. The next year, we had to put another couple hundred into it. And then at some point, it just sat in front of my house for six months unrunning. And I, every day, would see that Chevy Blazer and want to blow it up. I, want, I wanted to light it on fire in front of my house so badly. And I probably should have. But I couldn't do it. Why? That's <laughs> exactly. Spiritual person over here, finally. I was, I'm invested into the car. I got ridiculous amounts of money into that car now, five, six grand. It's not even worth two. I'm so upside down, but I'm so invested. The thought of throwing it away or just getting rid of it is literally like throwing $6,000 away. Why is it hard to put God first? Why is it hard? Because we're invested in other things. We pour our time and our energy into our wealth, into our retirement. And by the way, wealth isn't the only thing we invest in. Let's not just pick on rich people. God loves them too. But we invest in our political viewpoints. We invest in our certain relationships. We invest in ideas. I mean, we could go on and on. We invest in all kinds of things, certain beliefs. And the thought of taking all of that time and energy and investment and saying, you know what, I'm going to put it over here, I'm going to lower it down several notches and I'm going to put God above it, is incredibly difficult. It's hard for all of us. It is so hard for any of us to enter the kingdom of God if we're invested in other things. It's going to get in the way. 
at some point, Jesus is going to ask you about it. He's going to call you to a decision. That's what this rich young man is. He's an example to all of us. What are we investing in? Verse 25, he says, not only is it hard, it's impossible. It's like trying to force a camel through the eye of a needle. And by the way, there is a teaching out there that I have heard about that says that this phrase camel through the eye of a needle comes from a a gate in the wall of the city of Jerusalem that happened to be a small gate and camels would go, they, they would, they, it wasn't used for animals, but sometimes animals would go through it and a camel would have to kneel down and kind of crawl through it. Let me just say that's a complete myth. That's not, that's not historically accurate. But it was, it's a way for some people to say, well, it's not impossible, but it's hard. No, Jesus is saying it's impossible. He's saying literally a camel through the eye of a little tiny needle. I can't even put the thread through the eye of a needle. I can't imagine trying to force a camel through that. He's being literal. It is impossible. If you're going to invest in something else other than him. Now, how are you doing? Well, ask yourself, what are you investing in? Where have you been spending your time, your focus, your energy? What do you think most about? Is it Jesus? Are you in love with Jesus? Are you pursuing Jesus? Is there a desire for him? Or is he just... A checkbox. Oh, I'll read my Bible maybe today, maybe tomorrow. I'll confess my sin maybe. I'll work on repenting on something. Where does he stand? You got to put him first. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, he's got to be number one. I love this story because it gets funny. Because <laughs> in verse 28, the disciples are stunned. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. It's literally as if they're like, wait, what? You're telling us this now? I mean, we've been following you for two years and now you're telling me it's impossible to go to heaven? What have I been doing this whole time? Well, thank goodness that Jesus said, well, look, with with man it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. It is only possible for us to put God first to enter the kingdom of heaven and be able to put God first by the grace of God. We have to rely on God. He does it, not us. He makes it possible. And it gets even funnier because here in verse 28, Peter says, well, we've left everything to follow you. And in verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, "My, I read this as Jesus interrupting Peter because I think what Peter was saying at this moment is he was like, he was adding this up really quickly. By the way, you might remember from an earlier study, Peter was a rich man. He was certainly one of the more wealthy disciples. Had a successful fishing business. He owned the biggest house in Capernaum. And he's like a bit stunned by what Jesus has to say here. Wait a second. I've given everything up. And you're telling me I'm not going to make it? This isn't worth it. Why did I take the blue pill? I should have took the red pill. What was I thinking? 
I've had the exact same thoughts. What am I doing? I've been doing this for 20-something years now. And there's been many a time where I thought, it isn't worth it. Or is it worth it? Tired of tithing. I could buy another blazer and lose (laughs) more money with all the money I tithe. Tired of denying myself. Tired of being everybody telling me I'm wrong or disagreeing or trying to lead people and everybody having 20 other opinions and fighting with everyone just to get one thing done. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to relate. I'm sure you have the same problem in your world, okay? I'm not trying to put you guys down. I'm just saying uh, it gets tiring. I don't want to be nice all the time when somebody's a jerk to me. I don't always have to be the one who repents. Is this even worth it? Have you not felt that? Well, I got to go to another meeting. That's exactly what Peter is saying. I've left it all to follow you. Is this even worth it? By the way, there's a cross-reference. I don't have it on the slide. But the same story is recorded in in another gospel. And this is actually uh, Peter's words. We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? He's literally saying, is this worth it? Jesus interrupts him. That's my favorite part. He interrupts him. He stops Peter in his tracks and he says, no one who has left father or home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Here's the point. It's totally worth it. That's what Jesus is telling him. Let me interrupt you, Peter. I get it. You're kind of freaking out right now. Well, this is a lot harder than I thought. I thought I was doing the right thing. Here's this rich young guy who seems to have everything on straight. He ain't going to make it. Holy cow, what does that mean for me? Am I going to make it? I don't, I mean, I've given everything up. Did I make a mistake? And Jesus says, no, you didn't make a mistake. You made the right choice. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make it so. Yes, it's impossible without me, but if you follow me, you put me first, you invest in me, I'm going to make it happen. And not only am I going to make it happen, but I'm going to bless you a hundred times over for anything you give up for me. So yes, it's totally worth it. Even when everybody else is discouraged and critical and complaining around you, even when everybody else feels like the world is imploding or caving in, remember the words of Jesus. It's worth it. A hundred times more and you get to go to heaven. It's a no-brainer. So the cost of following Jesus is high. It is. There's even hardship that comes with it. But he's not going to take anything from us that he's not going to give back better and a hundred times over and eternal 
life. So don't be like those three guys who thought, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to live my life, and then found out that they chose the wrong life. Let's be the people who put God first. Thank you. You are dismissed.